Welcome to the Blessed Stanley Rother Institute podcast. The Blessed Stanley Rother Institute further forms and fortifies the faithful to go make disciples. Today's episode features a presentation given at the Catechetical Conference held in Oklahoma City on September 17th, 2022. I know you never had any of my classes at St. Gregory's, but I'm famous for that. We always pray. It's always very short, right? Like a philosopher. We're just barely getting into heaven. All right, so I got this exciting title, The Accelerator, right? But I need to begin this breakout session in full honesty, admitting I did not come up with it. Where this comes from is about five years ago, I'm talking to a marriage and family life director up in Kansas. And we're talking about different programs and ministry options, but he then says to me that in his experience, nothing has been a greater accelerator than men's ministry. And he meant that in a few ways, because I initially thought, oh yeah, it helps the guys be better family men and that kind of thing. He's like, well, yeah, but I also mean that men's ministry also accelerates other unrelated parish programs. I kind of like this image. It's usually used with economics, but men's ministry is kind of like a rising tide that lifts all boats simultaneously. It has that effect. Now, I'm embarrassed to say Again, even though this was a really senior marriage and family life director and I should have been hanging on to his every word, that's the only thing I remember from our conversation five years ago. And I think why I remember it is the Lord has kind of hammered it into me repeatedly since then. Since that conversation five years ago, I have heard the same thing in different words from different people who don't know each other. So most recently, our own father, Christopher Brashears, who's the guy I really wanted to give this breakout session. I was talking to him and he remarked to me that of all the different initiatives he tried in his parish, he had gotten, quote, the most bang for his buck out of men's ministry. Those are his words. And the story is that not long after he arrived up there in Guymon, wherever that is, right? <laughs> the hinterlands of the state. He started this small men's group and he poured a lot of time into it. So much so that he was questioning, like, am I being fair to the other parishioners? But he kind of had this hunch and went with it. But it's sort of the time he was putting into those men immediately started raiding out, raiding out into their families. So for example, about a year or two after he was there, I came up there and gave a talk on, on marriage. And the people who attended it were the guys from the men's ministry and their spouses. Now, since then, it has radiated out even further. The last time I talked to him, he couldn't wait to get in my office, and priests are never like that, but he had exciting news for me. He's like, my men's ministry. I'm like, yeah, I love that. He's like, well, now I've challenged them. I said, we've got an issue in the parish, and I want you guys to solve it. So as a team, his men's ministry has now stepped up to lead the parish youth ministry with immediate good results. Like everyone's excited about this and they're doing it as a band of brothers in that parish. And so I think, again, I've been hearing this over and over and I think there are even some people in this room who could back this up, right? That positive change in a parish or a school can often be traced back to an effective men's ministry. Now, to those of us who work in marriage and family life, though, this is actually a very old story, right? We know this. We know from experience that the faith of the father 
has a disproportionate religious impact on the children. Now, I don't, I was worried about this that some ladies might attend this, so I, was, I had a lot of moderating comments here, but I'll at least say it to you guys. I'm not denying our common human intuition that in some way a mother is at the heart of the house, that a, a woman's care for her children, her empathy can really hold a family together in tough times. 100% agree with that. I think that's true. But what I am saying is that at least religiously speaking, as go the fathers, so goes the family. If dad is quote unquote religious, the family is religious. When it comes to our Christian faith, the spiritual authority of the father is typically the decisive factor. Now, as a philosopher by training, my temptation is to spend the rest of our time on that, digging into why that is, into this curious phenomenon. And Ray was a bad influence on me because he came over to my table and was like, I really want to get into the why too. And I'm like, don't say that to me because I'll just sit up here and have big thoughts. I'm willing to circle back to it in the Q&A if the why question interests you as well. But since this is a breakout session, I'm supposed to be very practical. So let's just for the moment take it as a given that men's ministry can truly be an accelerator. And again, we can talk about it in the Q&A or you can come to the Marriage and Family Life table and we can talk about why while I try to sell you some man cans. But for the moment, let's just take it as a premise. Men's ministry is an accelerator. So what I want to do for most of our time is be very practical. If it is an accelerator, what then are some ways we should go about it, right? What approaches to men's ministry tend to be effective? And as I reflected on my own experience with various forms of ministry to men through the years, I found my mind returning again and again to a distinction made by the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle. And it's a distinction between three different types of friendship based on the three different motivations that bring people to associate with each other. And I noticed the most effective men's ministries I have known map onto these three forms of friendship in significant ways. And I think that really shouldn't surprise us. Aristotle, for all his faults, was a keen observer of human nature. And in the economy of salvation, that's your pretentious phrase. If people ask you what we talked about in here, I want you to say, oh, the economy of salvation. So <laughs> let's get our code words down now so we know. Okay, but in the economy of salvation then, God's grace typically builds upon nature. If you're here from Mass this morning, it was actually in the reading from St. Paul. He says, did the spiritual come first? No, the natural came first, then the spiritual. So if you want to put this as bluntly as possible, when God calls us to new life in his son, he does not destroy what we are naturally as human beings. Rather, he heals that and then he elevates it to a new level. So in terms of our topic, this means that if friendship follows certain predictable natural patterns, these are patterns we should actively try to harness in the service of the gospel. And I think Aristotle's philosophy gives us some of those key natural features of friendship. And so it gives us a little guidance if we're looking to either start a men's ministry or improve an existing one. 
So what I'm thinking we should do, let me first give a quick overview of the three forms of friendship discussed by Aristotle, and then we'll go one by one and talk about how they apply to men's ministry. So Aristotle begins by noticing that we love some things because they are useful or beneficial to us. So in the human context, love of this sort gives rise to what he calls friendships of utility. Men find each other helpful in various ways, and a friendship follows out of that. Next, Aristotle notices we love some things because we derive pleasure from them. And thus, in the human context, there can be friendships of pleasure. These are men who enjoy each other's company, and that mutual enjoyment is the basis of their camaraderie. Finally, Aristotle notices that we love some things not so much because they are useful or pleasant, but because they are noble. Some things have an excellence, a kind of intrinsic goodness to them that calls forth our love. Aristotle calls friendships motivated by this form of love perfect friendships or friendships of the good. And it is this last form of friendship friendship of the good that is really the model case of what a friendship ought to be. As Aristotle says, it is, quote, the truest friendship. So in friendships of utility and pleasure, you love the other people because of their usefulness to you or the pleasure you find in their company. But in a friendship of the good, you love the other man for his own sake, because of his goodness. You don't love him for something incidental like pleasure or utility, because that stuff can come and go, right? Last week, I found Deacon Joe funny, but I don't know about next week. The, the, the gas may run out of the tank, and he's done for, right, if this is all we got. No, so in a friendship of the good, you love the other man for who he is, for his good character. Now, that being said, perfect friendships like that tend to involve utility and pleasure, right? A virtuous person is pretty darn useful and typically enjoyable to be around. But the pleasure and utility are not the point. They are more like side effects, right? Byproducts of this personal heart-to-heart -heart relationship you have in that kind of friendship. Now, when Catholics hear about friendship of the good, they tend to get really excited and fixate on it. And they aren't wrong to do so, because when we study the lives of the saints, we see these kinds of friendships, right? St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic Guzman, right? Famous friends. Even more impactful ones, St. Ignatius Loyola and St. Francis Xavier, their friendship changed the world, right? Changed the world. And there are many, many, many others, right? These kind of holy friendships are awesome, world-changing. And so the immediate temptation is to start thinking about ministry to men exclusively in terms of cultivating these sorts of friendships. However, few words of caution from Aristotle would be in order at this point. First, those friendships of the good, those take time to develop, right? The people have to come to know each other as good and trust each other. It takes time. And friendships of the good tend to be rare because, strictly speaking, these friendships are only possible for morally good people. And grumpy Aristotle thinks, well, morally good people aren't that many of them. They're kind of a rare thing. To kind of update his language, let me put it this way. You have to be capable of loving unselfishly 
to form one of these friendships of the good, and a lot of guys just aren't there yet, right? In our contemporary culture, the men to whom we are frequently going to be called to minister are going to first need to be fixed in various ways before we can call them into unselfish friendship or into service. And I actually think it's a mistake a lot of otherwise well-intentioned men's ministries make is they try to put guys into service before they fix them. So, but that's my opinion again. Ray will give you the straight dope when I'm done, right? So my thesis in this talk is that while friendship of the good is obviously the best thing to aim at, and I am gonna discuss it, these other forms of friendship identified by Aristotle still remain important to us if we want to minister effectively. All right, so that's the big overview. Now let's go through them one by one. And let's begin by thinking about men's ministry in light of friendships of utility. Again, these are friendships that arise because men find each other useful or beneficial in various ways. While there is obviously an element of selfishness to it, there is also real goodwill involved, which is why you can call it a friendship. So for example, let's say you have a friendship of utility with your car mechanic, right? Hey, a good shady tree mechanic is hard to come by, right? And for his part, he sure appreciates your business. It's not often a man has a car as bad as yours, right? Your jalopy is constantly breaking down and that's putting his kid through college. So you like each other, right? Now, if you see him at the grocery store, you run into Bob the mechanic and he tells you, Deacon Joe, last week I won $10,000 on a scratcher's ticket. You're gonna be legitimately happy for the guy. You have goodwill for this man, you're happy, right? So again, it's, it's slightly imperfect, slightly selfish, but it's, it's friendship, right? So here's the question. Why not approach Catholic men's ministry with this sort of friendship in mind? Why not establish some group or activity that is blatantly useful to men? It has been done before. I should have asked this as a Catholic trivia question, but arguably the, the, the most famous men's ministry here in America, the Knights of Columbus, starts exactly in this way. Catholic immigrants coming over here being forced to take dangerous jobs, they're, they're dying, we gotta find a way to take care of their widows and their families. And so this is how the Knights begin. They begin as a mutual benefit society, a friendship of utility. And insurance is still a major part of what the Knights do. There are plenty of other human needs beyond the financial. I'm involved with an ecumenical men's initiative called F3. We take turns leading these free guerrilla boot camp workouts in the mornings in parks and parking lots before most people are awake. Like the Knights of Columbus, F3 aims at greater things. All our workouts end with a prayer and we do service projects together and stuff like that. But the workouts are always the foundation. Why? They meet a need. They meet the need men have to be physically fit. And so we form friendships of utility with each other to help achieve and maintain fitness. That's easy when you're young bucks. I these youngsters in the room, they're like, oh, man, you start having kids, you're working out. It gets hard to work out. So I've reached this point at least where I'm like, if I don't have another man cracking the whip on me, if there isn't a guy who's gonna be texting me at 6 a.m. in the morning saying, where are you? you owe me burpees, 
right? I'm, I'm just going to let myself go, all right? There's even such a thing as the spiritually useful, as strange as that sounds. And I'm glad Dr. Fujikawa is not in the room to throw the theological flag on me. But just hear me out, okay? As a Catholic man, I deeply appreciate events in which the sacrament of reconciliation is offered. Confession is something I need, and I love it when it's actually offered at a convenient time for me, not for 45 minutes on a Saturday afternoon, 30 minutes of which are taken up by the old woman in, front, in line in front of me. She's obviously Jack the Ripper or something. She goes in the box and doesn't come out. I mean, like, it's, it's frustrating, right? So I, I love it. I love it when there's confession at a thing. I also appreciate opportunities to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament, right? And again, it's only men in the room, so we can be frank here. Sometimes it's useful in kind of a naughty way. I'll be the first to admit I've gone in a little Eucharistic adoration room at the Oklahoma Catholic Men's Conference a time or two because I wasn't a big fan of the speaker. Most of them are good, but every now and again you get a stink bug, right? But hey, it got me to pray, didn't it? If they hadn't had that little room there with Jesus, I probably would have gone out to my car and wasted time on my phone or something like that, right? So this was a good thing. I think the men's ministry at St. Eugene's here in the city does a good job with this as well. Their group meets on Saturday mornings and typically they begin with mass. Well, Saturday morning mass is actually kind of hard to find in our archdiocese. That's a whole separate issue that I'm not going to discuss because they're going to send out this recording. Hopefully they'll edit that part out. But again, <laughs> kind of nice, kind of useful, right? It meets a need. So I think this is our first tip for men's ministry from Aristotle. Identify needs, or if you can't, have the men identify their needs. We're all good at talking about what we want, right? And then support men in forming groups that can meet those needs, groups that are obviously beneficial to the men. The challenge here is that the needs might not seem initially Catholic enough to merit our, your attention or to easily win the immediate approval of your pastor. I talk about this a lot with Deacon Jill, right? Maybe the men feel they need to learn the basics of canning so as to be better able to feed their families in the event of supply chain breakdowns. Maybe the men feel they need to learn the basics of firearm safety and marksmanship to be better defenders of the innocent life in their families. Maybe the men feel they have a need to learn Latin together or Spanish, whatever it may be. So my opinion, subject to revision by appropriate authorities, is this. As long as the need in question is not obviously opposed to the faith, why not? What's the problem? As St. Augustine writes, here's your second pretentious line, because remember, economy of salvation. Now write this one down to you. Your, your spouse is going to be impressed. It is from the place one has fallen that one must rise again. It is from the place one has fallen that one must rise again. As we would normally say that, meet people where they are at. All right? Meeting needs hooks men. It begins to bring them into contact with other Catholic men, weaving them more into the community. And once such friendships get established, there is nothing preventing them from growing into something better. 
In fact, I would wager that the Holy Spirit, the teacher, will be actively seeking opportunities to make use of those Catholic male friendships in just that way, to grow into something greater. Again, grace likes to build on nature. Get the friendship in place. Let God work at it. All right, that was friendship of utility. Now let's move on to friendships of pleasure in men's ministry. As I said earlier, these are friendships based on the enjoyment the men have in each other's company. As with friendships of utility, there is certainly some imperfection here. But as with friendships of utility, there is also real goodwill on the part of the friends. They like hanging out together. They want good things for each other. And as Aristotle points out, these friendships are actually a little bit of a step higher because these are people who do actually want to hang out together. Again, going back to your car mechanic, car mechanic, you love the guy, he's a real friend, but how often are you really going to invite him over to your house? You know, you're probably not. But you are going to invite Fun Bobby over to your house. He livens up every party, right? Like, so the, these friendships of pleasure are moving in the direction of truer friendship because they have that characteristic of spending time together. Now, here I think the objection might be slightly different. Of course. We all want the men to enjoy themselves. Our men's ministry is fun, so you aren't telling us anything we don't already know. So I might rattle some feathers here. And again, if it feels that way, I'm not attacking you. So I'm going to exaggerate a little bit. Let's ask ourselves if our men's ministry we're involved in is actually fun. The group meets on Monday morning at 5 a.m., in the joyful disciples room of the Parish Shepherding Center, covered with 70s tapestries, right? If the Keurig isn't broken, and it typically is, there might be coffee available. And to kind of spice up your coffee, you can have one of those little packets of powdered non-dairy creamer. We're rolling, aren't we? What do we do? We throw on a video for the men to watch. Well, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. We begin in prayer. So first we say the everlasting building campaign prayer. All right? Then we throw on a video. We're watching a video at 5.15 in the morning. About 6, we flip the fluorescent lights back on. And then we put the men into small groups where they are to talk about either their feelings, because you know men have a lot of those, a lot of feelings, or if the conversation's kind of not going well, well, then we give them the, the pre-assigned questions that go with the video series that ask them questions like, what have you felt like Lazarus? Or what, do you, what treasures do you have stored up in your barns, right? Again, not attacking anyone. Is that fun? No, not really. Again, I'm exaggerating, but just think about it. That's, a man will go to that if he's already friends with one of the guys in the group. You know, I'm friends with Deacon Joe. He keeps telling me about this group. I go to it and that he's doing the right thing, get me there, that's good. But again, new guys, probably not gonna go to that. And if some guy, we sucker in one of these young guys and they happen to come, they're gonna be like, 45 minutes till this is over, you can get through this. They're gonna be doing a lot of positive self-talk, they're not coming back, all right? This is not fun. So again, we need to think about what can we do to spice things up, to add some elements of pleasure. Consider, for example, Father Herrera's wildly successful men's group up there in Enid. 
They meet at night, usually on the later side, 7 or 8 p.m. Why? So the men aren't in trouble with their wives. This is a good positive first step. They get to come home, have dinner with the family, get at least half the kids in bed, and then they get to go out. So I mean, this is already, they're not in trouble to start with. They meet in kind of a cool place. They meet in the backyard of the rectory. And there's this nice patio there under a huge old tree. It's BYOB, so the men are encouraged to smoke pipes or cigars and have a beer or two. And most of the guys there bring enough of both of those to share. So even if you show up and you don't have them, you're covered. Now, don't get me wrong. It is not some kind of wild party. There's no debauchery. Father Herrera usually leads a discussion on some topic of Catholic interest, right? The Sacred Heart or something like that. Or he'll invite another speaker to present. But I think we can all still get a sense of how enjoyable these evenings are for the men, right? Again, you're at the backyard of the rectory, kind of a naughty place you wouldn't normally get to be. You know, you're, you're get, you get to fiddle with your pipe. You're doing something with your hands. You're drinking a cold beer. You get to hang out with Father. And again, it's, it's not a video. You're being addressed in a real person-to-person way, and, and the guys talk. So again, I've been up there a few times, and it is rare for there to be less than 20 men there, rare. And sometimes it's quite a few more. And those are men of a wide spread of ages and experience. You got the young Air Force officers from the base there. You got older men from the parish and everything in between. So again, the lesson to take from this is that making things fun in an appropriately masculine way does go a long way toward establishing an effective men's ministry. So that's our second pro tip from Aristotle, make it fun. One important addendum here as well. Again, sometimes fun can mean things like donuts in the morning or beer in the evenings, but another aspect, what's fun for men? Men like doing stuff together, right? I I was talking about this with Jace Palmer yesterday, and he had such a great way of explaining it, I knew it was morally imperative that I put it in the talk. Jace said this, he said, men initially make friends by walking side by side with another man, not initially being face to face. It's kind of the opposite with women, right? I can say that in this room full of dudes, right? Is that women, they, they kind of want to start with that face-to-face interaction. But as guys, we kind of, kind of like to ease into it. Let's be building this treehouse together as kids. And we're, we're stealing our parents' tools and the wood from dad's barn that he was going to use. And we build this treehouse. And now, what are we going to do now? I don't know. Let's have a party in it. You know? and, then, and then at a certain point, finally, you're like, hey, we're friends, aren't we? And because you built this treehouse together, it's not weird or creepy. You can be like, yeah, yeah, we're friends. We high five. And then the rest is history, right? That's kind of the male dynamic. It's when you're a kid, when you're 40. Either way. All right, so make it fun. All right, let's turn now. I don't know how I'm doing on time. I don't even care. I'm going to do what I want. Let's turn now to the final type of friendship identified by Aristotle, friendship of the good. As I discussed earlier, in this form of friendship, The goodwill or the love at the core of the friendship is a response to the goodness of the other. While the friendship will typically be beneficial and pleasant, those aren't the factors driving the friendship. Instead, the other is loved in a way that is fundamentally unselfish for the other's sake. Such friendships are rather obviously a good fit with our Christian faith, so much so that St. Thomas Aquinas made use of this idea in his definition of the theological virtue of charity. According to Aquinas, what is charity? It is friendship with God. 
and he means it in this friendship of the good kind of way. Because even though we get a lot of benefits from God and sometimes we can even have, you know, mass can be pleasant or something like that, that's not the point, is it, right? We're supposed to love God for his goodness and these other things kind of can come along with it. Now, Aristotle also points out that these kind of friendships provide ongoing formation in virtue, training in virtue, as he puts it. It is friends like these who can call each other to account and even challenge each other to greater heights, right? This is the kind of guy, if you have this kind of friendship, you can say to him, well, Deacon Joe, what, why aren't you doing Exodus 90 this Lent? Are you, you still allergic to water? That, the cold water? That must be tough for you. You know, you can, you can rid each other like this and call each other to more virtue. I'm sorry that Deacon Joe is the example, and he can't even retaliate because he works with that. He'll find a way to get vengeance, sir. Yes. It's because you're sitting at the teacher's desk, too. I feel like this is a class report in some way, and I'm failing. All right. All right, so while friendships of utility and pleasure have their place, these friendships of the good are our ultimate goal for men's ministry. So the question then becomes, what type of men's group could be conducive to the formation of friendships like these? And Aristotle makes two brief remarks that give us some basic directions. One I already mentioned, these friendships take time to develop. And that is a truth that is at once both sociological and philosophical. Sociologically, it's just our human experience. Friendships like this don't happen instantly. They take time, everyone knows that. But philosophically, the reason for the slow development is clear. The men have to come to recognize and admire each other's good character. That necessitates seeing how the other man is gonna react in various situations. So it cannot be an instantaneous judgment. So the ramifications for an effective men's ministry should be clear. This kind of ministry is a long game. This is not something you can execute as a short run, eight week program. That just doesn't give enough time for the men to get to know each other. So if we're gonna be effective, we have to be patient. We have to think in years, not months. Again, sorry to not give you the good news, a silver bullet. It will work, it will bear fruit, if you're willing to give it five years. Second remark from Aristotle on these is more cryptic, but I think it's even more important. Aristotle says that in order to form friendships of the good, the men must, quote, eat salt together. The men must eat salt together. And what does that mean? Don't read Aristotle scholars, they ruin everything. These nerdy academics are like, well, eating salt together means that the men dine together. And, they, you know, and so it's like, oh, Chick-fil-A is the key to your men's ministry. Well, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. When I hear eat salt together, I think of hard times, right? You, salt is when you sweat. Salt is when you're trying to preserve food and stuff like that. So I think the suggestion here is that men's ministry needs to involve some difficulty, needs to involve some sacrifice for the men. And I know this is all wrong, right? We're told to water everything down, don't, can't have anything challenging. We have to be pastoral and welcoming to everyone, radical hospitality. But look, if you want to help men form virtuous friendships, such dilution is the opposite of pastoral. 
doing something difficult with other men actually bonds men together like nothing else. Deep down, men crave a challenge, especially a challenge so difficult that it can only be accomplished with the help of other men. That's what we want. Men need a purpose, they need a high call, and they need to answer that call with other men. There's this famous men's author, Jack Donovan. His line is, the way of men is the way of the gang. The way of men is the way of the gang. We want to do a hard thing, we want to do it together. So, encourage the men to do Exodus 90. Encourage the men to do an overnight hike together, especially if you can get one of these young gun priests to go along and say mass for the group on the top of a mountain at midnight or something. Like, this is the direction we want to be going in, right? Encourage the men to do some kind of crazy fast. Literally anything that will be difficult can build the kind of men's ministry that builds these friendships. Again, I mentioned F3 earlier. In F3, we periodically engage in what we call CSOPs which is an acronym. It stands for completely stupid and utterly pointless events. For example, like doing a 24-hour run as a group where you're all taking turns running for 24 hours or doing 10,000 burpees together over the course of a weekend, right? Now, we make fun of ourselves by saying that this, these events are stupid and pointless, but we aren't really being forthright, are we? The challenge the men undertake may be in itself pointless, the 10,000 burpees or whatever it is, but it is far from stupid or pointless that a difficult thing is done together by men. That's the key, that's the pro tip from Aristotle. For friendships of the good, get the men to eat salt together in some way. All right, let me sum up. So in this session, we've been talking about effective ministry to men. I've claimed that such ministry should be an object of our strategic focus, both for itself, but also for the good effects it's going to have on all the other ministry initiatives, right? You get the men in an effective men's ministry, they start showing up for their marriage, and then they start doing weird things like volunteering at the parish. All of a sudden, I'm willing to be an usher. All of a sudden, I'm willing to be a lector. Who is this stranger no one recognizes? Trace it back to the men's ministry. Now, that said, men's ministry can be a difficult ministry to start or sustain for reasons that I will not go into today because I am being recorded. Many men find our ministry efforts repulsive or off-putting, just to be blunt. But I think if we take heed of Aristotle's famous account of human friendship and revise our ministry efforts accordingly, we might appeal to men a little bit better. I've suggested that we incorporate elements of utility and pleasure into our efforts to minister to men, that we adopt a slow burn, long game mindset, and finally that we urge the men to undertake difficult tasks together. Now, all of these suggestions depend on a fundamental presupposition in this talk, that cultivating friendship should be a central concern of our men's ministry. I've just presupposed that, I have not defended that. So let me conclude by just saying a word there. Again, I know it's controversial, but I'm going to say it, I don't think some sort of solo outreach to a man can ever be highly effective. And again, your Deacon Joe looks puzzled, and he's right to look puzzled, because I'm always the guy giving people books, like, read this book, watch this video. And again, that's a moderately good thing, if you can get a man on his own to read a good book or watch a good video series. But for deep, 
personal conversion, I think men have to be called into friendship. I don't think they can do it alone. They can't really change their life alone. So the reason for that harkens back to my title, right? The accelerator. What do friends do for human beings? Friends accelerate us. They accelerate us. Human beings are social beings, and men are no exception. Men in the male version of that word, right? We are at our best when we are operating in a relationship with others. Aristotle's way of saying it, and here's your final pretentious thing to write down. Remember, economy of salvation. I already forgot the second one. Here's the third. With others, we are more able to think and act. With others, we are more able to think and act. That's why we want men's ministry to focus on friendship. All right, that is my spiel. And miracle of miracles, a philosopher ended early. I'm very self-congratulatory about this. So we technically have till 145. So why don't we do a bit of Q&A? Again, comments, questions, what do you guys want to talk about? It's all guys in here. Just I feel a like, quick comment. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Something that you've made me think of very deeply is that we've got, I guess, maybe you could call it an average LP men's ministry at the St. John's in, in Yukon. Okay. Um, but you, you brought to my attention that these three, these ideas based on these three types of friendship is kind of what's missing. Hmm. Like maybe there's you know 150 men on our roster, wow. and we average about 40 or 50 on a good week. Okay. So out of 150 men, we could all sign up something that we would be willing to help the other with. Okay. Utility. Yeah. Um, committing to doing something hard in our parish. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so that alone was worth listening to. Yeah. What you said today. Because I think that it's we we use the great you know Pac Manager program. It's great. Right. Content, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's something that I've taken away from this is that it has to still be mutually beneficial mm -hmm. and towards something other than having a small group talk. That's good, but mm -hmm. it's really hard for the other hundred men that don't show up regularly. Right. No, that's a great comment. Again, that manage you love that stuff. Oh, Definitely spiritually useful. Hundred percent agree. But yeah, I. I think that would be awesome. I think that would be a way to up your participation and take some prayer and discernment. But is there some hard thing we can do? And again, don't hate to use cliches, but don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good because you're immediately going to go to, okay, is there some hard thing we can do at the parish? Like, is there some chapel we can build or stations of the cross we can put up? And again, if there are, that's rad. I love it. But if nothing like that comes to mind, well, then just come up with something else. We've got this really great Catholic concept you don't hear enough about anymore, offering it up. <laughs> so, again, even if there's no obvious need at the parish to meet, you know, and I'm going to make up an absurd example, but you say these 150 men, you know what, as a group, we're going to try to hit 5,000 push-ups this weekend, but we're specifically offering up the suffering for this need, for unwed mothers or for Father Metzinger or whatever it is, Right. I think that could be powerful. It appeals to a whole, there are guys who are they never going to come to the small group, but they'll do that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Thank Love you. it. Yes? Are some of these things like uh, the push-ups, for example, that's something that a guy can say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that at home on my own. Mm. Is that a bad idea to 
Or do we want them to gather together and say, we're all going to be in the church parking lot doing the push-ups at 2 o'clock in the morning? You're on the wavelength. Yes, the more can be done together, the better. However, give guys a way to hook into it, even from afar, right? Like, so make it understood that, look, if you can be there at 2 a.m. in the morning, we're all doing this together, we're going to have Gatorade there, or maybe even beer afterwards, you know, again, pleasure, right? And it's going to be fun. If you can't do it, we still love you, brother. Join with us. Post it on Facebook and accounts, but make some absurd rule. Like, you ever heard it's a joke in men's circles, but uh, if... A plank isn't a plank unless it's witnessed by someone or there's a picture, right? Like the, this was a thing years ago when people that, remember that craze when people were literally planking across things? Yeah. But that was the rule. Like unless, no picture, it didn't happen, right? So you say something like that to the guy so there's some minimal accountability. Okay. But yeah, the more they can do it together. And again, it, it's so counterintuitive, but sometimes it's almost worse if it makes sense, right? Like you, you want it to be something what was my example? Like I, I did one of these pointless things. When was this? Back in April. I did an all night, well, it was a weekend event, but an all overnight rucking event. Rucking's where you have a backpack with 30 pounds in it. And then with a team of other men, you're carrying a log. And this, we did this overnight for 15 hours. And I'll never forget the look on my wife's face when I was first explained to her I wanted to do it. It's like, what do we got the weekend of April 29th? Because I want to go to Northwest Arkansas and do this rucking event. What's rucking? Well, the weight and the log. She's looking at me like this. But in my heart, I was like, oh, I want to do this so much more now. The fact that you're reacting like that confirms me in this, right? So, uh, so for what it's worth. Yes. And we probably don't have 45 men yeah. in our Oking Parish. Yeah. Seriously. And they're ages from new fathers. Right. Some, you know, not out of high school, but we have some other types. Up to me and my age. Right. Seven, I'm 70, almost 72, up to 80. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just trying to get men together, even, is difficult. Much less than yeah. so many things you're trying to do with such a small group of men. Yeah. And that's why I'm here. I want mm-hmm. to see if there's something I could get going that might help our parish to get that, not only the utility, mm-hmm. but the third thing of Aristotle going. That, you know, just Friendships of the good. Really good. Some of these guys I grew up in high school with. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any, any thoughts on that from anybody? Yeah, that's where I think that category of the spiritually useful can come into play, right? Because, again... Maybe the guys are at different ages where they don't want to do push-ups in the parking lot at 2 a.m. But, you know, we all need to get to confession. We all need to receive the Blessed Sacrament, go to Mass. We all need to kind of be challenged as men. And that can appeal to kind of 20-year-old and an 80-year-old. So St. Eugene has a good spread of men at their men's group. Again, a lot more men to work with. I'd like to try to come up with that Enid one possibly, but being one of two deacons Oh yeah. parish and the first two deacons we've ever had, yeah. We're taking care of building funds, checking the air conditioning, changing air filters. Yeah. And RCIA, making sure we're there for opening for RE almost every Wednesday. Yeah. So it, it just puts a lot on us and trying to do, get a ministry started is even yeah. without my mind. Well, see, that's, I completely agree with that. And that's why you need a men's ministry so bad. You're going to run yourselves ragged doing stuff that a whole team of men should be doing. Even if it's only 45 men in the parish, 
still, what could 10 men do to two men, you know? So again, what can you, I, again, I have to answer for myself, I'm 42. I'm interested in having a beer with an 80-year-old and a 24-year-old at the same time because I know I got a lot to learn from the older man. I've reached that point in my life where I'm like, dad was right. What else do I need to know from an older man? But I also recognize that, man, if I could give a little bit of guidance to this 24-year-old and not do some of the dumb things I did. So I think, again, it's going to be hard with all your activities, but if there could be a one night a week just, and you could even put limits on it, like come show up at 7.30 p.m. for one beer and a five-minute talk on whatever subject, but still getting men together. It's really amazing and kind of sort of lower our expectations. Again, I said this at the start of the talk, but we have the Holy Spirit, right? So our job is to just do our best naturally, even if it's for five men in a, in a remote parish, and then see what the Holy Spirit can do with it, right? So just find a way to get the men together. Men, oh, our culture, you know, when we're young, we're encouraged to have friendships as men, and our parents get worried if we don't. Like, Billy doesn't have any friends. Let's put him in baseball so he makes friends. And so we get friends, friends, friends up to the end of college. And then the moment when we really need friends, we start getting married, having babies, stepping up into things like the diaconate and great service. That's the moment at which we're kind of discouraged from going out and making friends. Like, it's why, why do you want to get together with the other guys in the parish? Are you guys weirdos? You know, like, you'll, you'll get comments like that. And again, you just, you got to have that eye of the tiger. Be like, Jesus had apostles. He spent time with them. Why shouldn't we? The men of this parish need to iron sharpens iron. We need to be together so we can be a help to father and a help to this parish. And like, well, how does drinking beer do that? Well, we don't drink excessively, and while we drink, we read a little bit of the Bible, we talk about something. If it gets men there, you know, what's the problem? So I think you can do it. It's just, again, not going to be a big raging group, but yeah. I would just, you hit on the, the number. I mean, we have a large number of saints. Yeah. And it's been gone for 27 years. That's awesome. Um, and I guess back to your three types, our group continues to bring guys in and they're all in they're in all of those groups okay but i would tell you that the drive is spiritual growth oh yeah and many of these guys were in the pew catholics that when we invited them to come they go 6 30 in the morning you gotta be kidding me. exactly and yeah i sleep in at six right and now they're waiting for the doors to open so they can come in and so fellowship is really important. Mm -hmm. These guys, you know, here they are at 6 o'clock in the morning, 30 minutes before anything starts. But, but I think you have to know your audience. Yes. They all, you know, the spiritual growth side of it. Mm -hmm. They were Catholics from, since they were born, and they needed, they wanted to know more about being a Catholic. Right. You know, you've got great things from Father Bishop Barron and some of those things mm -hmm. just are great feeders. Right. Um, we have a very active Knights group. And I think the Knights would probably take issue if we started doing a bunch of service projects. Sure, yeah. But we have looked at the fact we probably should do more in um, adoration. You know, call the guys together for adoration. Call yeah. Call them together for a confession. Or one of yeah. Because once we leave 
large group of us go to daily mass. Right. So you know, the, it's there isn't there isn't a silver 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 bullet to any of this. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. I mean, you really kind of just have to to grow. I met this morning early with a group of young guys. Yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. On Thursday nights. Yeah. And so they're doing a totally different program because their needs are different. That's right. What they want to do. And they do, they they do some kind of a study for a while, but then they sit around and drink for an hour and a half. <laughs> Excessive. Yeah, no. But they sit around and talk about how do you get your kid off of his cell phone? You know, so yes. Like yeah. So, you know, so there's a lot of, it, so they wouldn't necessarily enjoy the morning group. Right. And I can tell you what, the night guys, or the morning guys, they're they not. Enjoy <laughs> right. In bed by 10 yeah. So, anyhow, so it's something, you know, one size doesn't fit. Right. But in both cases, there's a need being met. That was your point. And in both cases, there's some fun had there. Again, I wasn't making fun of your group with my early morning example because I've heard good things. I think you guys have some donuts and whatnot. Like, oh, yeah. So you have a good time, too. But yeah. Because what I learned today that we hope to take back, right, mm -hmm. with the rest of our, our leaders, these three things we learned today, I'd start there. These three types of friendship, and just ask them in, okay, which one of you are going to help us facilitate this one? Because I can, oh, yeah. you know, which one of you are going to help us facilitate this one? We can worry about that third one later. No, that's a that's a great point. I hadn't thought of it, yeah. Explain what that is, and I'd say that's because I think small towns have a better atmosphere. Here, we're always too busy and right. No, you don't have to do them all at once. You're right. Um, even again, in my thing, I'm involved with them. F3 now, we don't do them all at once. You've got, as I told you, the awful early morning workouts. Once a month, we try to do a social event with each other. That's more friendship of pleasure. And then quarterly, we try to do a service activity. So we don't even do them all at once. But yeah, and if you got guys with a heart for one of those areas, so one guy's the fun guy, one guy's the really spiritually serious guy, and the other guy's the really practical guy, let them work within their wheelhouse, right? Like you set up, you do that event, you set up this event, then you support each other and see what, you, what fish you can bring in the nets. All right, man, I got to wrap up here because you got to get to the auditorium too. Really, thanks, thanks for showing up and let's just stay in touch. I know I'm happy to walk with you, Ray, and the Oklahoma Catholic Men's Conference are happy to walk with you in your efforts and let's just be brothers in arms and get this done for the church. All right, send with the glory be. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.